much, Andrew, for praying for us. Well, when you uh, become a Christian, there are many glorious realities that become yours. As we were thinking about last Sunday evening, the burden of sin that you had been carrying up to that point has fallen off in you, off you, never to be returned, never to be counted against you. You're forgiven, you're righteous in Christ. And when you become a Christian, you become a son or a daughter of the living God. And when you become a Christian, as we've been thinking about over these past Sunday mornings, you're given a glorious gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. And then there's also another thing. And often I think as Christians, particularly here in the individualistic Western world that we live in, there's another thing that we're quick to forget, that all of us as Christians, when we become Christians, also become members together of the body of Christ. And this incredible reality of what you become when you're a Christian is what Paul is speaking about in this section in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're looking at this morning. If you have a Bible with you, do uh, turn back there. It would be great to have that open as we work through this passage together. And if you've got it there, look at how Paul begins. Verses 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. In the verses before this, Paul has spoken of a variety of spiritual gifts that we each may be given as believers. Each of us, as I say, potentially given different gifts. But notice here in these verses how Paul then moves to speak about how even despite that kind of diversity, we are also all united. We are one in Christ. See here, Paul is saying that all believers, whatever gifts we may or may not have been given, have first and foremost been given this gift. We have been baptized in one spirit. Speaking of that moment when the spirit came, first came into each of our hearts and brought us to Christ, united us to him. And as a result of that, each of us now is indwelt by the spirit of Christ uniting us together. Each one of us here this morning, now a member together of the body of Christ. Now, this concept isn't that easy to get our heads around, but it is worth trying. What Paul is saying here is that that when you become a Christian, not only do you receive all the benefits of being united with Christ, but because you share those same benefits with everyone else, every other believer in Christ, you become united to them in a very real, very special way. Christ is in you and Christ is in them. Christ is continuing to work in you. Christ is continuing to work in and through them. Christ brings us together. Christ binds us together and Christ continues to work through us together as a body of believers. 
There's now this unbreakable bond in Christ that holds you fast, that holds you fast this morning to the Christian who is sitting beside you. There is an unbreakable bond that holds you fast to the Christian sitting in front of you this morning. There is an unbreakable bond in Christ that holds you fast to the Christian sitting behind you this morning. And incredibly, that bond, as Paul alludes to in verse 13, surpasses any possible ethnic, cultural, societal difference that we may have. Look at what Paul says there, verse 13. Jew or Greek, slave or free, all have been baptized into this one body of Christ. And that means that this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, no matter where you are from, Northern Ireland, Spain, Ukraine, you are members together, each other, with each other of the body of Christ. Whether you're from Iran, from El Salvador, from India, from America this morning, you are members together of the body of Christ whether you're in a high-flying job, you're famous, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, whether you work in a big office or a small office, whether you uh, work alone, whether you don't work, whatever you do in your day-to-day, if you are a Christian here this morning, you are united to each of those other people that I just mentioned in Christ. We're united. And so as we reflect on this. First of all, I think we have to say, is this not one of the most defining, glorious beauties of the church of Christ? None of us here this morning are the same. Each of us do have our own backgrounds, different country that we're from, different gift, different skills that we've been given, and yet we come together like this every week on a Sunday, on a Wednesday as we pray together and meet in small groups. We are united in Christ Together, just keeping on looking to him, caring for each other, loving each other. Where else in the world around us do we see this kind of unity amidst so much diversity? Now, as we say all of this, I think there is great encouragement, isn't there? But there's also challenge. But here's here's the question too. I guess, why is it that Paul is speaking this way. And this way we've landed in the middle of a a letter here, haven't we? Why is Paul speaking like this to these particular believers in Corinth? Well, I think above all, we, we see here in this letter that he's writing like this to combat division. Division that seems to be a part of the church here in Corinth. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, we hear Paul appealing to the church here that there be no divisions among them because he has heard that there is quarreling that is going on in the church. Quarreling about what, we would ask? Well, we only know in part. Certainly, there's something to do with spiritual gifts and their importance. But even just this mention of quarreling, this division, it says something to Paul, doesn't it? says these believers have lost sight of something so important, that they are members together of the body of Christ. No matter their background, no matter their spiritual gift, no matter anything, they are one in Christ. See, it's when we forget this kind of truth about who we are as a Christian and about who the person beside us is, 
as a Christian, who we both are, that things like divisions, like cracks, begin to form. A harsh word maybe elicits a harsh word in return. A disagreement that, became, that began about something very trivial suddenly just continues on, becomes personal and deep-seated. Someone maybe ignoring someone else on a Sunday, even, even unintentionally, well, that becomes a grudge that just grows and grows. Why does remembering that we are members together then of the body of Christ begin to combat those kind of attitudes and divisions? Well, first of all, I think because it drives us back to the root of that identity, Christ. Who am I other than a recipient of the grace of Christ? What right do I then, remembering that about myself, have to look down on, to speak badly of others when I remember the grace that I myself have received? Then also it reminds us, doesn't it, of the value of others around us. Yes, they too are, in some senses, only recipients of Christ's grace too. But think about who this is saying they are. They are those who right now Christ is in. By his spirit, they are those who right now Christ is continuing to work through and to work in for his glory. And remembering this about who each are also gives us that unity of purpose, doesn't it? That is so important if we're going to remain united. Each of us here, Christ's representatives here on earth, the body of Christ looking to show his worth, his glory to the world around us. But then I think Paul also goes on in the rest of this passage to give us his main reason. His main reason why remembering this truth about who we are should put an end to division. By reminding us that as members together of the body of Christ, all of us are valuable members of the body. And that incredibly, we need each other. This seems to be getting at the root of two problems here in the Corinthian church, two problems that are interconnected, and two problems that sadly, I think, do persist even in the church today. Unhealthy comparison and unhealthy individualism. As we think about this, look with me at what Paul writes as we continue in verse 14, 14 to 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. These verses, I think, touch on the unhealthy comparison game that seems to be going on in this church. As we hear these words, perhaps we can imagine someone in the church, perhaps feeling Like, well, they just aren't as important. They aren't as gifted as others in the church. And you can imagine them saying, well, am I really truly a part of this body? What am I bringing? Am I really needed? After all, I don't have that skill, that gifting that you have or that he or she has. I'm only an ear, not an eye, not the one who's looking ahead and charting the course of the church. All in all, I'm not really bringing that much to the table, it seems, compared to others. But Paul wants to absolutely remove any line of thinking like that. 
He's saying here, it just simply is the case that you are part of the body. Whether you think you are the most important or the least important. As he goes on to show in verse 17 there, whatever part of the body we are, each of us has a valuable part to play. After all, what good would it be for everyone to be an eye? Or everyone to be an ear? As Paul is saying this, he's saying, isn't he, each of you who are hearing this, you are a valuable member of the body of Christ, a member no less valuable than any other. Even if you are different from others, you still have so much value. At the same time, Paul is also combating this other side of this unhealthy comparison that seems to be going on in the church, that some members there believe that they're more valuable than others. And he's saying, no, that isn't the case either. None of you are any more valuable than anyone else. Look down at verses 21 and 22. Paul writes there, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. Again, you can imagine the kinds of conversation happening in the church in Corinth, can't you? Either behind people's backs or maybe even out in the open. What does so-and-so over there really bring to our church? Sure, maybe they stack some chairs now and again, but what is that compared to leading a Bible study? Or being part of a growing kids' work? Or what value does he or she have really to the church compared to me, the one who can teach, the one who who other people look to for guidance, the one who organizes different events, who, who puts it all together? But Paul is saying that, again, if you are tempted to think like that, you are completely mistaken. You've misunderstood the fundamental truth about who we are as Christians. He's already spoken about how we need the different parts of the body to be able to do different things, hasn't he? To hear, to smell, to walk, to see. So, yes, each of us do have value to bring. Each of those things that we do to hear, to see, they're all important, But those things are never so important that it's to the detriment of what other people are able to do and bring too. See, a healthy body needs to be able to do all of those things, doesn't it? And this is the beauty of the church. Each of us as members of the body of Christ brings different value. Of course, as Christians, we know that we have incredible value and worth to God. We've been rejoicing in that truth this morning as we've been singing and praying. He sent his son to die for us. That's how much you are valuable to God. But as Christians, not only are we valuable to God, but actually we are valuable to each other. Here's how one commentator puts it. Each member is unique, distinctive, irreplaceable, unrepeatable. If you are a Christian today, do you know that's you? You are unique, distinctive, irreplaceable, unrepeatable. And you have so much value, so much worth, not just to God, but also to the rest of us here. The rest of us here in this church. And what I've just said of you 
Well, that also applies to the person sitting next to you. All of this helps us, doesn't it, to think rightly about who we are. No unhealthy comparison going on. No unhealthy inferiority or superiority. Just each of us being who we are and using whatever it is that God has given us, our gifts, our abilities, our time, our capacities to serve and love the Lord and serve and love each other. Paul rams home this point, if you look with me, in verses 23 and 24. Because there he explains that just as for our body, we in some ways treat even those most unpresentable parts of us with greater honor. We clothe them, we protect them, so it is in the church. Not that there truly are unpresentable members in the church. That's not what Paul is saying here. I think he's speaking here of those who perhaps in their own eyes or in the eyes of the world might consider themselves weaker or less honorable. But Paul says here, recognizing our need of each other, no one can say to the other, I have no need of you. Instead, we are to rightly affirm, honor, and value all members here of the body of Christ, whoever they are. Each and every member of the body of Christ should be considered indispensable, should be welcomed, received, valued as someone who has immense worth and who we genuinely could not do without. And all that we've just said then also combats, I think, this second danger that the Corinthian Christians, and I think Christians everywhere still today, can quickly fall into, this unhealthy individualism when it comes to our Christian life and faith. Remember Paul's point that he made in verses 17 to 20, that each of us are valuable as members of the body of Christ. We have a God-given, valuable part to play then. As Paul says in those verses, an eye might be useful, but without also having ears, there would be no sense of hearing. Something would be lacking. So also with the ear then, without a nose, well, there would be no sense of smell and something would be lacking. And verse 18, here is the incredible thing. Behind all of this, God has made it that way. God has made it that way. He's made it that way for our physical bodies, that we are made up of all kinds of different but essential, valuable parts that only working together become a complete, healthy body, able to do what it was made to do. And he has also made it at the case for the church, for the body of Christ. As a church, we are made up of all kinds of different but essential, valuable people that only as we work together, then become a complete, healthy body. Now, as I say this, I'm aware that what what we're saying here is pretty radical. What we're saying here is that your identity as a Christian, who you are, is necessarily going to involve other Christians too. I mean, we live in this individualistic world, as we said, don't we? I will do what I want. I'm going to be who I want to be. After, at the end of the day, you've got to look after number one, haven't you? And yet Paul is straight out here saying, no, that just is not the way of the Christian. 
Just as a foot also needs an eye so it can see where to walk to, just as a hand needs an arm so it can move it to where it needs to be, so we as Christians are similarly joined together, reliant on each other. We need each other. Again, there's something almost uncomfortable. I don't know if you can feel that in saying something like that in this day and age. We don't need anybody, surely. We can just get on ourselves. But here is the truth. The reality. As Christians, we were made to be in community. We were made to live alongside other believers. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation, but alongside others as we help each other, care for each other, and point each other back to the one who brought us together in the first place, the Lord Jesus. Again, this is what makes the church so unique as compared to what we see in the world around us. We see in the church people who time and time again, even when there is no personal gain to themselves, looking out for others, sacrificing their time, their gifts for the good of others. We see that right here in our church here, don't we, at Great Vic? We see that in people who go visit elderly, the elderly in their care homes, in homes, even when the person that they're visiting might not even remember them or recognize them. We see that in people who arrive early on a Sunday to smile at us and to shake our hands as we walk through the door. We see that in people who turn up early to set up the AV, the sound desk. We see that in people who come to practice for music ahead of time. We see that in people who just a few minutes ago went through those doors to go and serve and look after the kids all so that we also can continue to know the blessing of, of coming under God's word and being taught. The list there could go on. I've only really just started. And part of the beauty here, the part of the beauty of the church, is that so much of what we're talking about here does go on quietly, informally, often even unnoticed. We see people in the church serving others, not for their own good, but for the good of those that they are serving, and for God's glory. As members together of the body of Christ, standing in contrast to the world around us, we readily and gladly accept and we recognize and rejoice in this truth. We need each other. And this brings us to this question then. Well, how do we go about living out that reality? After all, But what we've just said about who we are as Christians is true for you and for me here in Belfast today. It's also true for people in Dublin who are trusting in Christ. It's true for people in cities, towns, villages right across our world. Each of us are a member together of the body of Christ, needing each other. But clearly, while we can still look to, to, to live with that in mind, encouraging, praying for, seeking the good of members of the body of Christ right across our worlds, The place where this reality of who we are gets lived out day by day, day, week by week, is the local church. After all, who is Paul writing to in this letter? He's writing to a specific local church in Corinth. And so in particular, Paul is urging this local church and encouraging them together to live out this reality. It's in the local church, like this one in Corinth, like here at Great Vic, where we can in our everyday live out 
the truth that we are united with other believers in Christ and that we need each other. We could put it this way. Our being members together of the body of Christ, that is embodied in the local church, in what we do together as a church, how we speak to each other, how we care for each other, how we value each other. That's one of the main reasons why here at Great Vic we value membership so highly. Because in membership, we see the realities of what Paul has just been saying lived out. As each member recognizes and says publicly to the other members here, do you know what? I recognize that we need each other. And do you know what? I'm going to play my part in that. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to pray for you. And as I do all of that, I'm also going to say, please, will you do the same for me? Because I need you to do that for me. We need each other. Becoming a committed member here at Great Vic or any other local church for that is a great way, I think, to take seriously what Paul is saying here. Not to risk living this individualistic Christian life, perhaps flitting from one church family to another. No, becoming a member is to not risk missing out on all the good, all the good that comes from week by week, joining together with other believers and other believers who know you and who you know, each of us serving each other with the gifts that God has given us, all for the common good. If you'd like to chat more about membership or anything like that, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. We really do feel that membership flows out of this truth that we're considering this morning, that we are united together as, as a body of Christ. But with the time then left that we, uh, we have, let's also look to ground this, to ground this in four ways, four ways that Paul points us to in these final verses of how we can then intentionally live out what we've just been saying here at Great Vic or in whatever local church that you regularly attend. First off, from verse 25, in light of the fact that all of us are valuable members of the body of Christ who need each other, we should look to pursue unity even in amongst our diversity. Look again at the end of verse 24 and then verse 25 with me again. What's the purpose here of God composing the body as he has? Remember, God's behind this with each, every person having value, being indispensable. What's the purpose? Verse 25 that there may be no division in the body. For us here at Great Vic, what does this mean? We are in many ways quite a diverse bunch. But as those united in Christ who are of great value, each of us, each to the other, we need to be pursuing this kind of unity, even as we recognize and, re- and rejoice in the diversity. And one of the main ways that I think we can go about doing this is by steering clear of that comparison game that, remember, we were talking about earlier. The comparison game, either between yourself and others in the church or even just between others in the church. It's so easy to do, isn't it? We look around and we see somebody who has a particular gift that maybe we don't have. They seem to be a great blessing to this person or that person. And as you see that, you feel, well, I just don't know that I've got the same to give. 
But all that Paul's saying here is going to throw those kind of thoughts out the window. Yes, we do all have different gifts. Some may be more obvious gifts than others, but those gifts don't define us. What defines us is that when push comes to shove, whatever member of the body we may think of ourselves as, a toe, a leg, an eye, whatever it is, we have our part to play. And it's a crucial part. This should change how we think about ourselves. And it should change how we think about others, shouldn't it? As we said earlier, the person sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, you are united to them this moment in Christ. And no matter how different you may seem at first glance, you have been put here in this church for the good of that other person. Whatever way that ends itself playing out. It's not for us to judge others. It's for us to play our part, to build others up, to value others, and to pursue unity with others, no matter how different they are to you. I wonder in particular how in our conversations together, our conversations together as a church, we could intentionally look to both celebrate the diversity that we have, but also hold fast to and rejoice in the unity that we have. In particular, I wonder if our pursuit of unity and amongst diversity here at Great Vic particularly plays itself out in how we speak with others in the church about others in the church. I wonder if we are always thinking and speaking rightly about others here, who God has placed here with us for our common good. In our conversations, in how we speak, are we promoting unity or are we promoting division amongst our diversity here at church? It's a challenge, isn't it? But a good one to keep in mind. And Paul's second implication then also flows out of this too. As he says in verse 25, there should be no division in the church, but instead each of us as valuable members of the body should look to show care for all, no matter our differences. Paul puts it that the members may have the same care for one another. All that Paul is saying here in this verse in particular is reminding us that as a Christian, I do not just occupy myself with myself, but I actually also have a very real responsibility to other members of the body too. And others have a responsibility to me. We each of us have a responsibility to serve, to help, to care for each other. I wonder what place this kind of care for others in the local church currently has in your life at the moment. How is this played out for you? And in particular, here I think is where the rubber hits the road. How is this played out with people who, at first glance, seem quite different to you? If we will pursue unity with people who even at first glance are so different to us? Is that not living out gloriously what Paul is calling us to here? Because we're saying in that moment, as we serve and care for somebody who's different to us, listen, I might be a leg, you might be an ear, 
but we are together. I am here for you. God has placed us together here for a reason. And God does not make mistakes. How can I serve you and care for you? This, of course, doesn't mean we have to agree with everybody on everything. (laughs) That absolutely will not happen. But it does mean that no matter our differences, no matter our disagreements, we will always have this same root core aim of caring for each other, looking out for each other. We're always having this aim, the good of the other person. Just imagine with me for a minute what a church with that aim at the center could look like. A gospel, Christ-centered, outward-looking haven where people, every person who comes is welcomed, is loved and cared for, no matter their differences to us. How could you play your part in making that increasingly the case here at Great Vic? And again then, picking up on this, Paul's third implication flows from what we were just saying. And it is this call to live a life of togetherness in the good and the bad, in the hard times and the good. Read what Paul calls us to in verse 26 with me again, if you've got it there. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When we hurt ourselves, we stub our toe on that sticky out chair leg, right? That's always there. It seems to catch us. What is it that we say? We say two things, I think. We say, my toe hurts, and also, I'm in a lot of pain. And why can we not put that chair somewhere else? It's always in the way. Yes, anyway, you know our house now. The truth is that the individual member of the body, it does hurt, doesn't it? But it impacts the whole. And so Paul says it should be with the church. As those united together, invested in each other, we should genuinely feel it when other people are going through hard times. And we should look to show that, to show that we are feeling it, to show how we can care. How can we do that? First of all, empathize with them. Pray for them. And when push comes to shove, cry with them. And of course, doing this means that we are going to need to genuinely share our lives, aren't we? How can we... How can we come alongside someone who is suffering, suffer with them, if we don't know that they're suffering in the first place? And of course, on the other side of looking at what Paul otherwise mentions, how can we rejoice with somebody who's received honor if we don't know that they've received that? To begin a life of genuine togetherness here at Great Vic to learn to suffer with those who suffer, rejoice with those who are honored, we begin, I think, by letting people into our lives, sharing our lives with each other. And as we do that, showing our unity by drawing alongside, taking the time to speak, to cry, to laugh, to rejoice together. 
in amongst the good and in amongst the bad. Well, finally then, as we come to a close, what's the last thing that Paul calls us to in light of all that we've been seeing this morning of who we are? Well, it's there in verses 27 to 31, that we should look to use our God-given gifts out of love for and for the good of other members here in the church. In many ways, Paul's already spoken about this in verses 17 to 20, reminding us of those different valuable parts we have to play. And and Paul picks up on that, doesn't he? Verses 28 to 31. What does that look like in the church? We don't have time this morning to take everything that's mentioned here in turn. That would be for another morning. But again, just look at the variety, the diversity of gifts that are even just mentioned in passing here. Apostles prophets, teachers, gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of helping, administrating, that is, keeping things moving forward, gifts of tongues. Now, whatever we believe about whether all of these gifts are still a part of the church today, certainly at least it seems that apostles and prophets don't seem to be needed or, or, or in evidence today in the same way as they were in the early church. But whatever, whatever we Holds to. The basic point of what Paul is saying here has nothing to do with that. The basic point here is that each of us has our part to play. Each of us has our gift, our skill, our ability, our capacity that God has given to us. And so as we close, two questions. Two questions that I think flow from this final point. First question Is this how you view coming to church week by week? An opportunity to bless, help, encourage, build up, care for other believers. It's easy, I think, as we come to church to slip into this kind of consumerist attitude, isn't it? We come on a Sunday to to get what we need to then go back out and get through the week. And I guess in many ways that is true. That is what, often what happens on a Sunday, isn't it? We do. God speaks to us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. But let's remember that as God is doing that, he is calling you to play your part in that, to build up and encourage other believers. And then that second question, final question, looking at this list and knowing that it in no way is exhaustive, not complete. What is it? How is it that God has gifted you? What is it that God has given you that you can be using for the good of others here at Great Vic? As we've seen today, it doesn't need to be something flashy, something exuberant. What Paul is saying here is that you, whether you've realized it or not, are a valuable, vital member of this church. We need you. How could you, as that valuable member of the church, the body of Christ, look to serve and love the other members here? Because that is what God would have you do. We need each other. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for... Christ, we thank you so much for the hope and the unity that we each individually enjoy 
and rejoice in him. But Lord, we thank you so much for this incredible reality that we've been thinking about this morning. That as believers, we are united together in Christ. We thank you that you have made us the body of Christ here on earth. Thank you that you are continuing to use us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we reflect on all that we've been thinking about this morning. Lord, as we see this picture of how we need each other, each of us valuable members, Lord, would you help us to respond and to increasingly just live this out amongst each other here at Great Vic. Lord, we thank you. I thank you so much for each and every one who is here this morning. You have brought them here for a purpose. Lord, please would you help us to be ready to care for each other, to even when we see our differences, rejoice in the unity that we have. Lord, would you help us to suffer with those who suffer, to rejoice with those who honor, who are receiving honor. And Lord, we just ask, please, that you would help us to use the different gifts, the different capacities, the different abilities that you've given us each, Lord, for your praise and your glory and for the good of the rest of the church. Please guide us and direct us as we respond to this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to close by singing this song, There Is One Gospel. We rejoice, don't we, in that unity that we have as Christians. And in the final verse, we, we sing this. And in this gospel, the church is one. We do not walk alone. We have his spirit as we press on to lead us safely home. As believers, we are not alone. We have his spirit, God's spirit with us, and we have each other. They are great gifts that he has given us. Let's respond and sing together. Let's stand and sing.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.